Hey, I'm Shannon Theobald. You're listening to Big Food, Big Future, the podcast about changing our food system at scale. I am so glad you're here today, and I really hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm here with Willem. Willem is the founder of Expand Online, which is now a founding member of Dept Agency, and he's also an impact investor with Plant Base. And I found Willem through a really interesting article he posted about taxing meat, so hoping to talk more about that today. But first, Willem, I'd just love to hear a little about yourself in your own words. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on this podcast and uh, thanks so much for organizing this. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm indeed a tech entrepreneur now turned impact investor. Uh, I have a heritage in, in digital marketing, founded a company here in the Netherlands, uh, which expanded to the UK as well. And then we sold that to a private equity company and with them, we did the 18 acquisitions and turned the agency into a global digital agency called Debt. And along the way, I came to find my purpose. Um, I saw that, well, we need to preserve the earth for future generations. I became a father myself as well. And I really started to think in what world my son would grow up. And then I uh, learned about sustainability and I started to uh, switch from a, a gasoline fueled car to an electric car. I started to lay solar panels on my roof. And then uh, after watching Cowspiracy, I also changed my diet. Um, my diet before was still heavily uh, influenced by the Dutch cuisine, which is quite rich in uh, dairy and meat. Uh, but I opted for a fully vegan diet. And uh, well, wow. I've been vegan for about four years now and uh, actually uh, feel better and healthier uh, ever since. And I also started to think about my, my role in the ecosystem. So about four years ago, it was still involved in my previous venture in the digital agency. And I started to think what role I could play in the alt protein ecosystem. And when my wife and I went to the supermarkets, the availability of plant-based products uh, was still rather limited, I would say. And uh, well, I, I, I don't have a food background myself. So I decided to uh, help other aspiring entrepreneurs who started CPG brands or uh, came to develop ingredients for the uh, alt protein supply chain in helping them scale up their business. And hence, I, uh, I became a, an impact investor. And uh, that's been uh, four years ago, and I've made about 15 investments in the ecosystem uh, since then. What a journey. I, I love how you just found out about this almost organically and dove right in and made it your career that is so cool um, well, to be honest Sean, honestly, I, I also yeah. need to credit uh, my great friend robert boer for that uh, he's now a program director at blue horizon and he actually was my source of inspiration he was already a, a bit ahead of me in uh, in his vegan journey and when uh, my wife and i went to visit his family in zurich in switzerland he actually showed me how you could eat uh, delicious meals without meat and dairy and replacing that with fantastic plant-based alternatives. So he was also one of my sources of inspiration to venture into this journey. Well, thank you, Robert. You've made an impact in many ways. 
Um, I'd love to hear some more about what it was like when you were just getting started on this impact investing plant-based journey. So like maybe a story about the first company you invested in. Yeah, that's actually quite a funny story. So uh, <laughs> I started to research the space a little bit. And in the Netherlands, we had this company called the Vegetarian Budget, uh, which is now part yes. of Unilever. And, I love their branding. <laughs> oh, great. And, and, and I really got inspired by them because they really uh, gave us the same experience as we had before with plant-based meat. And they had like cool branding and a uh, really inspiring story. And I st uh, started to think, okay, well, in the Netherlands and in several other mature markets uh, here in Europe, we already have these, these fantastic companies. But there are other markets in Europe that are not as, well, advanced. I shouldn't say advanced because we're still early days, but that are really like very early stage in, in, mm -hmm. in inspiring people yeah. to go plant-based. So Less uh, availability. Exactly. Yeah. So I came across mm -hmm. this company in Spain called Eura. Um, and yeah. Eura is a brand that makes fantastic plant-based chicken. And I actually, actually, I was in Spain last March and I tried their chicken. It is fantastic. Amazing, awesome, and and uh, did you eat it in a in a restaurant or did yeah, you cook it yeah, no, I so I always try to seek out like vegan restaurants wherever I travel, and um, yeah, I just saw it on the menu and I had heard of them before, um, so I was really keen to try it and it was was wonderful. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, for me. Coming across uh, them and tasting their chicken was like a mind-blowing experience because what I really like about their journey is that they combine uh, plant-based protein with a Mediterranean flavor. And having lived uh, in Nice in the south of France and, and, and yeah, uh, being influenced there with the Mediterranean kitchen, this was an eye-opener for me. So they, they are clean label and they have this, yeah, this Mediterranean sensory experience in their products. And that's what I really liked. And I also liked the fact that uh, Michelin start chefs were cooking with their product if they needed a plant-based alternative. And uh, I was also uh, inspired by the passion of the founder, Marco Loma and, and his co-founder Bernat, who are really for me game changers here in Europe. And so I reached out to them and <laughs> actually, uh, they, they, they had quite a lot of investor interest and I was still, um, yeah, just entering the space of, of investing in the, in, in plant-based game changers. So they actually wanted to check me out a little bit, but luckily I passed the test <laughs> and I became one of their investors and yeah, we've had an incredible ride ever since. And I'm, I'm, I'm really delighted and honored to, uh, help them as much as I can and, and to be one of their, uh, backers in their amazing journey. Amazing. Yeah. And how has your, mm, how do I say, what is your process for determining what you want to invest in as just an individual or, or a smaller impact investing firm rather than something huge like Unilever? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, um, since my, my ticket sizes are, are, yeah, not in the multi-million uh, dollars. I, I always look for early stage startups and I really want to bring them to their, say, Series A or, or afterwards the Series B 
and then uh, let others take my place. So I'm, I'm really looking for angel tickets for early stage startups. And I, I look at a combination of uh, obviously great product and a great product for me comes with taste, with convenience and with availability uh, and a market that is bound for uh, rapid growth. And when I started in the space about three or four years ago, uh, rapid growth was obviously uh, to be found in, in, in the meat and dairy aisle. But now I'm, I'm, I'm also keen on looking at nascent areas like plant-based seafood, plant-based eggs, uh, plant-based cheese, um, as well as uh, in the uh, supply chain uh, ingredients manufacturers. So for example, I've invested in a company in Sweden called Microarena. And what they do is they use residual waste, uh, food waste from the likes of Oatly and have fermentation technology taking place in their uh, biofactory uh, in Sweden and actually harvest uh, fungi from that uh, fermentation process. And then with that fungi, they extract the protein and sell that as a B2B ingredient to plant-based CPG brands. So I'm, I'm looking uh, upstream and downstream to, uh, to companies that, that are game changers or will become game changers. So it's the product, it's the market. It's obviously the team as well. Um, I'm always looking for a founder team that is driven, passionate and uh, open and ambitious. And I'm uh, also looking at uh, usually a combination of founders. So there are obviously companies that, that uh, have a sole founder and can be very successful in that. My experience has been that I, I was extremely happy to team up with like-minded individuals who had complementary skill sets to myself. And that's usually what I look for in teams. So if the founder is, is the sole founder, then I, I, I'm keen on exploring what the rest of the team looks like and what kind of complementary qualities they possess. Agreed. Yeah, innovation is always a team effort in my book. Excellent, absolutely. So one thing you mentioned was the landscape. I'd love to hear a bit more about uh, the European landscape right now. What do you see as most ripe for change? Uh, what are the biggest challenges right now? Great question. So if, if you look at the European landscape, then uh, well, we're very fortunate to have this amazing initiative taking place right now, which is called Veganuary from the UK, from my great friend Matthew Glover, who started it. And I mean, it's it's just taken off not only in the UK, but in other markets in Europe as well. So if, if you look at the product introductions in this month and uh, in the awareness and engagement of not only vegans, but a lot of flexitarians and people on their way to becoming uh, to adopting a plant based diet, it's, it's just like a, a game changer that is just increasing year by year. And I think that's exemplary for where Europe is heading towards. Um, uh, in, in, in the major cities, you see these young urban millennials endorsing a plant-based diet, but also influencing uh, their wider environment. And what is also very cool to mention is that what I hear around me is that youngsters, uh, the teenagers who learn in school about climate change and the loss of biodiversity are now also influencing their parents to buy uh, plant-based products. So you can really see that the shift is is going through society. And I think due to the COVID-19 crisis and 
previous crisis that we had in uh, the animal agriculture space here, where obviously viruses hopped from animals to humans. Uh, we have one additional argument to switch to, uh, to a plant-based diet. And I think that is also now uh, happening in Europe. Provatch actually released a study today uh, displaying that one out of seven Dutch people now want to limit their meat intake due to this, uh, uh, yeah, the wow. viruses like COVID hopping from, from animals to humans. That's incredible. So I think, yeah, the, 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 the European space is really ripe for, uh, for a huge shift in, in the way we uh, want to make our, our food supply chain more sustainable. And I already mentioned the UK. Uh, there's, there are other initiatives that are worthwhile mentioning as well. We have Oatly, obviously, from Sweden taking over the globe uh, in, uh, when it comes to plant-based dairy. Uh, Danone from France acquiring uh, white wave foods. And now, obviously, with uh, Prov uh, Provamel and uh, Alpro rolling out, and Silk in the US rolling out uh, plant-based dairy uh, across the globe. And there's a fantastic initiative called uh, Live Kindly, the Live Kindly uh, mm -hmm. Collective. I'm also a shareholder in that company. Uh, and they are uh, founded by the Blue Horizon team, as well as the uh, Crown Prince of Unilever called Kees Kruidhoff. Uh, and they are now on a, a buy and build journey, acquiring uh, local uh, champs and bringing them to other markets. So they've bought the likes of like meat, fries from South Africa, oomph from Sweden, and they are now introducing these brands in other European markets. So I think what we now see in Europe is that the market is maturing. And obviously there are big differences between countries where I see Sweden, the Netherlands and UK as front runners and maybe uh, yeah, there's work to be done in other parts of Europe. Germany, obviously, is also uh, making headwaves. Uh, Southern Europe uh, uh, will be bound for, for future growth as well. Uh, so we can really see that the market is maturing and it's, it's just a super exciting space to be in. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because Europe is so different from the US and, and other countries in that you know, you have the EU. So I'm interested, and this is my own, like, ignorance as an American. I need to learn more. But how does it work um, when making either regulatory decisions or even just promoting products across the EU? Um, what are the differences between a national level? So, for example, you said... Uh, X amount of people in the Netherlands want to reduce meat versus at a total EU level. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> a bit of a hard nut to crack from a US <laughs> perspective. Uh, we have so many cultures, nationalities, and also local cuisines that are very distinct. And I think many Europeans are proud of that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, the, the cultural heritage of, uh, of, of having their own cuisine. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It is a market that you wouldn't view as one. Um, and also in, in for example, uh, introducing a product and uh, building a retail and distribution network, you need to go in and in each country, find the right distributor, find the right retailers. So it is a bit of a headache looking at it from a, a US perspective. It's uh, the markets are, are, are rather small and yeah, every market has its distinct trades and distinct go-to-market strategy. Having said that, we, we really now see also on a European level, 
change. Uh, we had the uh, amendment where uh, some uh, political fractions in the European Parliament wanted to ban uh, plant-based meat uh, alternatives yes. to be named as meat. Like, uh, could you Oi. call a veg veggie burger a burger? And luckily, the European uh, Parliament dismissed that amendment. Having said that, for the dairy amendment, they actually uh, complied with the fraction that, that, that mm -hmm. posted this. So we're still fighting hard to uh, ensure that, that we don't take this backward measurements. But in, in this case, you can really see that the European legislation uh, applies to all markets. So there is some kind of centralization happening in uh, the sets of rules. Uh, and we also have this, uh, I think in the US, it's the FDA. So we have the yep. European Food uh, Regulatory Authority. And that's also if you want to introduce a, a novel food in, in Europe, um, you have to pass that, uh, uh, that agency and, and get your products um, be approved by, by that agency. So you can really see that there are, uh, especially from a go-to-market strategy, um, local adaptations to be made. But from a governance perspective, uh, Europe is coming together and, and, and European Union is a force to reckon with. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of the European Union, one of the uh, ways I found you was through your article on taxing meat in the EU. So I would love if you could just give a brief overview of your take on that, any background and why this is such a unique opportunity. Fantastic, yeah. So what we see right now in, the Euro in Europe is that about a third of the annual spend of the European Union is being given to uh, farmers uh, who uh, have a farm with animals. So uh, meat and dairy farmers. So what we want to do is uh, create a level playing field where um, we not only subsidize these farmers and, and uh, reducing these subsidies is, is hard work and we're working uh, really uh, intense to also uh, change the, uh, the, the, the streams of money flowing to these livestock farmers to, uh, to also include non-livestock farmers and, and create a level playing field there. But what we also want to do is to include all external costs in the price of meat. Um, mm -hmm. So therefore, we've created this alliance called uh, the TOPCO. Uh, it stands for True Animal Pricing Coalition, in which mm -hmm. we uh, want to uh, have a fair price for the meat that is being uh, purchased in, in supermarkets uh, in, uh, or in, uh, in the food service chain in Europe. And what we want to do, I mean, we also understand that, that livestock farmers are, are uh, being squeezed by um, the low prices that 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 buyers uh, of of their products pay. So we, uh, in one part, want to uh, help them with bringing a giving back part of the remuneration from this measurement to them, but also um, spend this money wisely on lowering uh, taxes on fruits and vegetables across Europe. So yeah. I it's think, an important counterpart. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I'm a vegan. So in my ideal world, everybody would adopt <laughs> a vegan diet. But we also understand that, that many Europeans are not ready for that. And we also understand yeah. there's a 
big backlash from farmers if we impose these measurements that don't include them. Therefore, we want to uh, have an inclusive, uh, inclusive legislation in place that also takes into account the concerns of the livestock farmers on the one hand, but on the other hand, makes it for European consumers, um, lowers the barriers for European consumers to buy fruits and vegetables. And if we do a survey, not uh, um, listening to their counter arguments to say, well, fruits and vegetables are too expensive in, in our supermarkets. Therefore, we need to shift some of the, uh, re uh, of the money we uh, can tax meet with to lowering prices on uh, on plant-based products yes and one other thing you mentioned in the article is healthcare, which i thought was such a compelling argument especially coming from an american perspective with such a broken healthcare system can you explain how uh the money from those taxes could reduce healthcare costs is it just because people would be eating more fruits and vegetables and therefore have fewer health problems? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, that's that's one of the uh, measurements that we have calculated. So there, there are basically two parts of the equation here. Um, so if we tax on an EU level meat, uh, like we proposed, uh, we can lower all uh, greenhouse gas emissions with 3% and reduce our healthcare costs with 9 billion euros. That's about 10 billion that's incredible yes absolutely and 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 uh, that's obviously uh, because well uh, red red meat uh, and uh, processed meat are car carcinogenic yeah so uh, we can uh, decrease the uh, costs that are associated with heart diseases and obviously uh, for the listeners there are other other illnesses uh, related to to meat consumption so We've calculated this um, and we've proposed this to political parties in, uh, in many different countries. And now the majority of, of the political parties in the Netherlands have included this in their election program. So um, wow. yeah, luckily, and, and it's great to see that, that politicians also realize that this is a flaw in the current system and it needs to be fixed. Wow. I can hardly imagine that. That's so incredible. <laughs> that politicians are paying attention. Wow, very cool. Um, so now, what is the relationship then between, in Europe, uh, healthcare workers, healthcare experts, and reduction of meat consumption? Is this a kind of EU-wide conversation that's being had? Well, unfortunately, I, I, I would love to say yes, but unfortunately, I think <laughs> we still have a long way to go. Um, I yeah. think we still see vested interest from the meat and dairy industry also uh, in our uh, healthcare system. So there are now subsidies also from the EU to promoting the consumption of meat and dairy. So we're still a long way off to where we want to be. Uh, and also... Um, the business model from pharmaceutical companies and, and, and hospitals and doctors is mostly in um, fixing the uh, problems instead of mm -hmm. the precaution measurements that we need to take. So 
preventional um, yeah, mechanisms are not in place, unfortunately, as of yet. So we're also trying to influence um, uh, healthcare insurers to um, adopt um, systems that with a plant-based diet, for example, people will pay a lower monthly fee for their uh, for their insurance, um, like they've done in Israel. And we see promising yeah. science now in Portugal as well, um, in, in this case. Yeah, that would be super exciting. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to have to look into more what the conversation was like in Israel in implementing that. Because, like, something I look at a lot is how to change protein consumption on a global scale. So I'm wondering what would it look like if we could have some kind of like international incentive to reduce meat consumption. And that makes me wonder, is this tax, is that a domestic tax, an EU-wide tax, or um, like an international tax? Are there any tariffs involved? I'm not an economist, but... Yes, yeah, so, so right now we're... Uh we're starting the conversations on two levels. Um, in the Netherlands, elections are coming up this March. So we really try to have this uh, being part of the new political coalition that will form our future government. And the signs are promising. So we really hope to be a first mover in this in the Netherlands. Uh, and uh, in conjunction, we also have a conversation on an European level to introduce these measurements on, a, uh, on an EU-wide EU basis. And what's great to see is uh, Germany is also making uh, steps yeah. in, in, in this in, 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 uh, taxa uh, taxation policies for, uh, for meat. So the CDU, the Christian uh, Democratic Party in Germany, has now also adopted this measurement. And their agricultural uh, minister is now uh, uh, trying to uh, support it and, and trying to include it in legislation as well. So. Hopefully, uh, Germany and the Netherlands will lead the way and then other European countries will follow. And <laughs> maybe what is also nice to measure with the, uh, the to mention with these measurements is where uh, we sometimes get some backlash on uh, that taxation of, of, of uh, in this case, meat can have a negative connotation. But what we always explain to politicians is that the flip side of it is that companies will invest more in all protein, in plant-based alternatives. And totally. here in the Netherlands, we have two uh, companies that are doing that. Uh, Unilever has invested 85 million euro, which is about $100 million in what they call the Hive, which is a breeding ground in, in Wageningen, which has a renowned agricultural university, in all <laughs> things that are related to plant-based innovation. Upfield, wow. which was bought by KKR, uh, which maybe some of you know from the book Barbarians at the Gate. So this Dr. Mm -hmm. Evil of Wall Street now also see this long, sees this long-time trend <laughs> of uh, uh, the shift to, uh, to a plant-based diet. And they bought Upfield for about $10 billion. And they are now also wow. investing in an R&D hub in the Netherlands to, to research what they could develop around plant-based cheese and, and plant-based dairy. So these investments also mean jobs and what we now see in the Netherlands is that is that these jobs mostly flow to the areas that were historically strong in meat production 
So uh, another example is Beyond Meat. Beyond Meat chose the Netherlands as their mm -hmm. uh, European hub. And they actually yeah. bought a meat production facility in the eastern part of the Netherlands that is known for uh, livestock agriculture. And they are now creating jobs in, in these factories that were uh, that were used to be occupied by people working in slaughterhouses and in, in meat uh, packing factories. So we also now give an argument to politicians to say, well, if you invest in this industry, you can become a, a, a not only a global leader in a in a in an industry that is bound for future growth, but you're also creating jobs in the areas that were historically uh, being given to people working in the in the livestock industry. Yeah, and that aspect I think is really key in a future where plant-based is more of the norm because it works both ways, right? On a consumer level, if you have more people who are working in the space who have sustainable, um, like, life-supporting jobs in the space, then that's going to normalize production and consumption at a community level as well. So I'll be really curious to see how this, even just a case study of this community that Beyond Meat has invested in, how this changes from a ground-up level. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so final question. What do you think it is about the Netherlands in particular that has allowed for so much innovation um, and just trailblazing really has allowed the Netherlands to be a leader in adopting plant, plant-friendly, shall we say, protocols? And how can we encourage those traits around the world? Great question. Yeah, I think um, it's uh, we have to thank uh, our agricultural university, um, Wageningen, who has created an ecosystem around them of uh, students and, and, and people and who have graduated who, who wanted to make our agricultural system more efficient. And, well, there's hardly any better way to do that by... Uh, promoting plants uh, as food and eliminating uh, an important step in the supply chain, which is the animal. So I think we need to be thankful for the uh, environment that our, our university has created. Um, I also think that we've been fortunate to have some prime examples here in the Netherlands, um, not just in the plant-based alt protein ecosystem, but also in cellular agriculture. Um, a professor from uh, Maastricht University was the first to introduce uh, a cell-grown burger, Moza meat, Mark Post. And he also yeah. inspired the country uh, in uh, uh, how you could use technology to disrupt the uh, food supply chain in our uh, animal food system. And actually, uh, he also owes a lot to um, Willem van Eeuwen, who actually was the, the godfather of uh, cellular agriculture, also mm -hmm. a Dutchman. So I think we had some prime examples here in the Netherlands around uh, plant-based protein. I already mentioned the vegetarian butcher and again, referring to Wageningen, as well as in cellular ag. And I think that has helped to shape the industry. And luckily we have forward-thinking politicians, not all of them, but some <laughs> who, who now are also yeah. 
debating with uh, the uh, the entrepreneurs and uh, and people from uh, academia how we could further uh, develop our industry. There's one political party, the Party for the Animals, that was uh, found here in the Netherlands, and I think they were the first to uh, to endorse uh, vegan diets and also to really put uh, the welfare and the well-being of animals on our political calendar. So I think we owe also a lot to the Party for the Animals. They are now part in the European uh, Parliament as well, and many other uh, countries have followed their example. So they're now Party for the Animals in uh, Australia, in uh, the UK, in Portugal, and, and many other countries. So it's it's great to see that uh, this 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 wave is also uh, being felt in uh, in politics. Hundred percent. Well, thank you so much, Willem. This is fascinating, and I can't wait to see how this all plays out and what you invest in next. Thanks so much for having me, and and really delighted that you organized this. It's so good to have more plant based. Uh, game changers, uh, uh, promoting our, our lifestyle and uh, making the world a better place. So thanks so much, Shannon, for doing this. 